0: Well, good morning, Salem Hiders and guests. We welcome you here today. We're so glad that you're joining us for worship. I wanted to start by reading you this this passage out of Jeremiah. It's out of Jeremiah 9. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in all the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so may our heart be his heart and our vision be his vision. So sing this with us if you would. You are my vision. Yes, you are my vision of my
1: heart is nothing else satisfies only you Lord and you HELL YOU only the blood of Jesus in work My said it's only the blood I It's only the blood of Jesus. Lord, we know that is true. That it is by your blood that we have new life and that we are given this new life in you. Father, thank you for that mercy that as we were running, sought to give us the grace, sought to love us and, and draw us near through your death. We thank you for that mercy, and we thank you for that grace. In your name we pray. Amen.
2: Well, good morning, Salem Heights. We're going to be in Acts chapter 14 once again in our series we're calling Christianity on the Grow. So Acts chapter 14, verses 23 through the end, says this. It says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord, whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and after they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attalia. From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. And they arrived and gathered the church together, and they reported everything that God had done with them, and that he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Now this may not seem like a significant passage, but this is actually a very important moment in the church where God is highlighting something that I believe we should do in the church today. In this moment, Paul and Barnabas, uh, it tells us according to the way that they were traveling that they make a beeline right back for home after they had finished their journey. They were out on a missionary trip and on their way back they head straight back to their sending church to give them a report of the things that God had done in them. And it highlights a couple of things. The first thing... In this little passage that gets highlighted, is that they had a celebration that confirmed the work that the church was led to commission. If you remember at the very beginning, Paul and Barnabas actually had been uh, set aside at a prayer meeting. It says that they got together and they began to pray with fasting, and the Spirit of God said, Set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them to do. In fact, Saul's name was, or Paul's name was Saul at that time. And they prayed, and they actually said, okay, we're setting them apart. To set them apart didn't just mean let them go, but they set them up with enough money that they could go on a two-year journey. This was two years later at the end of chapter 14 that they come back to give this report. So they send Saul and Barnabas off with two years worth of preparations and backing, and they are coming back now to give a report. Why is it important for them to give a report? Because this had never been done before. To set two people aside and say, we don't know what it is that you're being called to do. We don't even know how this is all going to turn out. But God has called you to do a work. We're just going to back it. Go do whatever God would have you do. Their return in this moment in the celebration was a confirmation that they had heard from God and that the things that Saul and Barnabas did were the things that God wanted them to do. It was a confirmation to the church that they had heard from God. But secondly, this celebration that we see right here confirmed the calling that God had placed on those two individuals. Just one example of that is Saul, who became known as Paul. When he left Antioch, that sending church, he was called Saul. He was a Pharisee, a Jew, that had been transformed by the living God and was now sharing the gospel with Gentiles. But when he came back, he'd been so impacted by ministry in the church and among those Gentiles that he was no longer called by his Jewish name, Saul. He was now called Paul, which was a Gentile name. He identified with those people, and so many Gentiles were coming to Christ that uh, he was called Paul. In fact, for the rest of the book of Acts, he is called Paul. He identifies with the people who he is telling uh, about Jesus to. He is transformed in the midst of the work that he is called to do. The final thing that I want you to see is that, that there is a reverberation that happens after telling the story, after others heard the story, there's a change that happens in the book of Acts. This story, what is happening as a result of missions, as a result of the gospel going out, What begins to happen impacts the church, and there's all kinds of reactions, but you can trace them back to them gathering here and spending time celebrating what God had done. It actually says that they had gathered together the church. Uh, That's an interesting Greek phrase that's there. The essence of it is this. Uh, They gathered, that first word is synagogued the ecclesia. two different Greek words. One is a Jewish word. Uh, that had to do with how they gathered to celebrate God. And the other one is ecclesia, uh, the Gentile way for gathering together uh, as a church. So now you have Jews and Gentiles in one body. They're getting together to hear that the gospel has gone out to everybody. And they're rejoicing that this is the way that God is at work today. There is something significant that happens. And the church would never go back to separation. They would stay in that unity. This was a moment where they celebrated what God was doing, and the church is forever changed. He used two individuals to start at. This morning, we're going to hear testimony from two individuals who were also called in our church. A group of leaders got together and prayed, and January, 20 years ago, they were led to commission two different servants in our church, to share the gospel and to do work, and they've borne much fruit. And I wanted you to hear from them this morning. So Julie, we are in the book of Acts, and we've been walking through 13 and 14, those chapters, and in there, there's a a story about two guys that were commissioned, Barnabas and Saul at the beginning of that, who becomes Paul, and they they get called out by the church. They go away for two years. So pretty amazing story. The church hears God say, set them apart and just let them be what they're supposed to be. And then apparently gives them enough cash to, for two years, go (laughs) live ministry out before they come back. And at the end of chapter 14, they take time to tell the story. This is what God did over this journey and so this morning, we're actually wanting to, to give an example of that by interviewing both uh, you and Matt and sharing a little bit about your calling. What people in the auditorium may not know is that 20 years ago, you were asked, the, the Spirit of God led the leadership team to invite you to be the women's ministry director. And 20 years ago, Uh, we had prayed and asked Matt to come on staff at our church. So you're both having a celebration. This January is 20 years. So praise God, 20 years. (laughs) So just like Saul and Barnabas come back and they tell a story of this is what God did after you said we were called, we went out and did this, now we're coming back. And So I want to be able to share a couple of pieces of the story. Um, and I want to start with something maybe people in the auditorium may not know, uh, people sitting at home may not know anything about your early years. Mm-hmm. So would you just share yeah. a little bit about the kind of home you grew up in, mm-hmm. and was there any moment identifying marker of your early years that has impacted you still to today?
3: Oh yeah, I think so. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and. It wasn't just a Christian home in word. It was lived out day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think there was ever a moment growing up that I didn't doubt that, or that I did doubt that my mom and dad loved the Lord, loved each other, and loved us three girls. Awesome. I, I feel like um, there was a lot of grace in our home, a lot of love. Um, and not just in our little home between the five of us, but our home was opened up to a lot of people and for the sake of ministry. And so I grew up in that environment and I I don't take that heritage for granted. I know that I am very blessed and that is not everybody's story, but it, it's a gift that God has given, given me. Yeah. Um, if I look back at a defining moment, it wasn't necessarily um, in those years in my home but just shortly after that because grew up, married my high school sweetheart and in just you know in that first newlywed phase um, I remember getting a phone call from my dad and discovering that my mom had colon cancer and nine months later um, she went home to be with the Lord and I call that time after that my crisis of faith when I was wondering is this god who i have believed in i don't i don't think he's really who who i thought he was because would he let something like that happen to my mom who loved him and then to me and my sisters who we felt like we yeah. still needed yeah. my mom you know and i'm um, wrestling through that but you know god always goes before us and i i remember like the year before that um, God, I just had been spending time in the Psalms. And all those verses started coming back to me about who God is and his faithfulness to us and how he's our rock and he's our shelter. And God would bring those things to my mind, but I was still like, but no, hmm. it's not true. You know, I'm not feeling that. Yeah. And I remember having this conversation with my dad and thinking he's gotta be hurting worse than I am, you know? But, um, and I'm talking to him and saying, "Dad, aren't you willing, don't you just kind of want to give up on all of this? Mm-hmm. You know, because look, look where we're at." And I remember him looking me straight in the eyes and saying, "Oh, but Julie, I couldn't survive this without the Lord. Yeah. And and I, I walked away um, from that conversation and thinking, you know what? Mom never um, wavered in her faith during that hard, hard season. And here's my dad and he's not wavering. This God that I've been taught about all my life truly is. He is the rock. He is all those things that he'd been showing me that year before in the book of Psalms. And I think that was a turning point for me where it became just so real and so personal, my faith in the Lord and trusting him.
2: Isn't it a gift too to be able to have a story where this is who my mom was Yes. and she put it on display Mm -hmm. her entire life.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, Totally. I
2: know when you've described her to me, it has been the kind of mom that impacts not just a home, but an entire family, the entire block, the school, your church she was just with that warmth that
3: absolutely and then to yes. have her be
2: gone yeah, yeah what a clarifying moment
3: yeah definitely so, definitely yeah
2: well so you come out of those years mm-hmm. and God leads you on a personal journey mm-hmm. where your faith is tested it's confirmed mm-hmm. now we fast forward mm-hmm. to uh, you arriving here mm-hmm. right Salem Heights right. and there's a whole bunch of uh, pieces to that story of mm-hmm. how you ended up here, yeah. But you're part of the women's ministry, uh, loosely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for that season, right. and have kids in the home. Mm-hmm. But describe how you get called into ministry here. How did that start? Because it didn't start here.
3: No. But how did it
2: start? And then what? What did God do?
3: Well, I think we back up a few years, yeah. And um, when I just had, um a two-year-old and a, and a newborn, you know, and in, in those years, um, I had done a lot of reflecting on on my mom's life. I, I think more than I would have, had, yeah. you know, if I hadn't lost her. And to see the influence that she had had, like you said, in our family for sure, but in our neighborhood and in our church, and, and um, thinking, realizing how significant Uh, the influence that a woman has and really contemplating that and then seeing um, in Titus how Paul tells Titus, hey, there's a significant place for women in ministry in the church and kind of combining those two and and thinking, Lord, um, if there's a way that you would want to use me to encourage women because they have such an influence, I'm here, I'm available, you know, Mm -hmm. and then in that time, just getting a phone call, hey, would you you want to start a little Bible study for moms? You know, and well, sure, you know, and and starting that and doing that and then eventually ending up here and having that passion so um, ignited that we would be able to encourage women to really to seek the Lord, Mm -hmm. you know, and to let him so influence them that then they would be that, influence in their homes, where they work, yeah. in their neighborhood, in their church, yeah. and, and so then here I am. Isn't you know?
2: that awesome? Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. is there, uh, we, we've talked about a bunch of things mm-hmm. that uh, that yeah. we might bring up right. today. Are there any stories or any moments that you remember along the way where you say, man, I, I still saw God moving me forward, or I, He mm. he showed up here and it's really marked me?
3: Um, well, like defining moments in, in ministry, you know, um, I I do, we were just talking, but I think we, we had, um, I remember wanting to start a women's Bible study, you know, and we started with 12 people and that, um, Bible study just grew and grew and was so exciting to be a, to be a part of that and to get to see that women hungering for God's word, you know, and we were having, we were packing out the chapel. You it was know? so full,
2: there was there was really no room here. I remember us talking about that yeah, there was like, no we room left in, yeah. yeah, we're gonna have to do two days. Right, yeah. right.
3: And we ended up doing that. Yeah. You know, but anyway, and I remember you coming to me yeah. and um I think I had to, you had to explain it so many times so that I could get it, but the idea that if we're gonna do women's Bible study, let's not have it be teacher focused and have these women be dependent on the teacher. We want them to be able to read God's word and understand it for themselves and dig into it. So let's, let's get away from that. And I remember being like, oh, I I don't know, you know, because, um, this is going so well, you know, why would we change, you know, but then, um, making that change from being a teacher-focused ministry to let's just be women that study the Bible, yeah. you know, and let's do it so that we, we're not dependent on, um, on anybody else. Yeah. You know, that we do it together, but we, we can we, women can do that on their own. And I mean, fast forward, I don't even know how many years it's been since that. It's been a long yeah. time, yeah. right? And now in this season, when we have not been able to provide the structure, the place yeah. for women, one of the greatest joys in this time has been listening to women. Oh, yeah, I, I'm getting I together with um, these three people, you know, and we're, we're studying God's word together. Isn't and it so cool? Yeah. And yeah. I do believe if we hadn't made that change way back then, they would have, been dependent on us you know and they're not they're so able to open God's word
2: I think one of the things that's been really amazing too is you have so many teachers in the women's ministry right now that that maybe wouldn't have risen to prominence but you have so many humble teachers uh, that they've enabled other people to also lead alongside them they haven't Mm -hmm. needed the forefront and now all of a sudden we have coming out of our women's ministry all of these uh, young moms, young mm-hmm. gals, and they're leading their friends. They're leading in different places, right. and they're just like you said—they're in the Word,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it's it's uh, profound to watch the influence that's that they're cool. having.
3: It's exciting in this
2: season when we really, mm-hmm. like you said, we really can't do what we used to do. They're right. still the Word of God moves on,
3: right? And He's
2: using these yeah. these gals. So that's thanks been, for serving like that. Oh, yeah. that's, it's
3: been exciting to see that.
2: Is there a, a passage? Mm. I mean, we talk about this. There's always passages that the Lord maybe just inserts into our life and says, "I want you to live this out for a season." But is there right. one right now yeah. that has really been causing you to flourish?
3: Yeah, I think it's um, it's been a while, like yeah. for a couple years now, that I've been really um, taking this so seriously um, for myself, but also for ministry in that second Corinthians 318 and it says and we all with unveiled faces yeah. are beholding the glory of the Lord and I think of that beholding just that we are really considering and we're really thinking about who God is we're beholding him and his character and then as we do that it goes on to say and then we're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. And that, I think that's been the desire of my heart that I would so consider who God is, that he would use that then by his spirit to transform me. But also that as ministry, that we would so point our women to look to the Lord, to really gain more and more understanding of who he is, of his character. And then as a result, they would be transformed. And then again, as a result of that, where they are, wherever God's planted them, it would have a benefit to the people that are around them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you use that that verse, not only with your women, but also in our staff meetings and our Mm. times with our our team, and it's been a huge encouragement to Mm -hmm. begin to think about what would it look like if we, you know, Moses is coming down from the mountain having his meeting with God. It's reflecting on that moment, but what if we just spent time with the Lord in such a way Mm -hmm. that other people caught a glimpse of glory because we've been meditating and focusing on the Mm -hmm. Word. What if we were so changed they couldn't help but ask the question, why are you at peace? Why are you growing? And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've been thankful for that. Yeah. Julie, thank you for thank you. serving. Thank, thank you for you. being faithful all these years, for being an example and for sharing with us this morning.
3: Thank you. It's been my yeah. privilege and a great joy, yeah. honestly. That's yeah, good. Thank you.
2: Thanks. So you uh, were able to be here for Julie's interview and yes. we got a chance to un- unpack that a little bit. Um, I wanted you to share also with the folks that are in the room A couple of pieces that maybe they don't know. So we've heard sometimes about um, adoption and about your history just as little anecdotes, little pieces. But the early years for you were really formative. Would you just share with us a little bit about what home you grew up in and were there any moments that shaped you
4: for the ministry you're doing today? Yeah, I was adopted out of Dallas, Oregon. Um, And in the midst of looking back on this, um that that's really formed a a lot of why i do what i do today and so my parents did everything it took to go before a judge whatever fees had to be paid dealing with it all to bring me home to salem and and i look back on that um, now and and think i didn't understand how important that was growing up you know so when i started kind of you know just being this kid just growing up in a home that um i i had thoughts in the back of my mind and i didn't really share this with a lot of people growing up but in the back of my mind, you know, why, why did my, my birth mom not want me? Where's my dad, you know, my birth dad? How did all that work? And, yeah. and in our home, we were told, you know, don't talk about adoption. It was not something that was talked about. You know, we knew we were adopted, yeah. but we were told not to talk about it at school. No, you're our children. There's no reason to talk about adoption. So that, that kind of formed a little bit of that almost secrecy about it back yeah. in the day. So I grew up, in an, uh, my dad was agnostic, and actually agnostic to the degree that he was fairly hostile to Christianity and Christians. Yeah. My mom had grown up in a Christian home, but had drifted away from that. Uh, she liked going to a particular church, but it was more about the reality that her parents had gone to that church more than any kind of belief in what they believed. Yeah. And so I grew up in that environment, fairly, my dad, hostile to Christianity. Yeah. And so as I was growing up, just kind of doing my own thing, I met Lori in high school, and. Um, Lori had come to Christ in high school and I, we, on our first date, she asked me cause she had heard from youth pastor. You're not supposed to date guys that aren't Christians, right? So now she's a brand new Christian. We go on our first date and she says, so, you know, are you a Christian? And I had a deep sense inside of me that if I say no to this question, um, <laughs> there is no second date. Yeah. So I, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I believe this. <laughs> and so we, we dated and, um, it unfolds that as high school sweethearts, we end up getting married at 20 years old and I am not living Christ. And as a matter of fact, I've fallen into several addictions at that point. Hmm. And so um, I'm kind of just running my life the way I want to and we get to 22 years old and and people are telling Lori that she should divorce me, family members of hers and friends. Um, And so as that's unfolding uh, with me, just not really, just being really selfish in my addictions, Lori's sister gets in a car wreck on Halloween night, 1987, going to the U of O game. Cal was playing Oregon and she was with uh, two young men that had been drinking at a Halloween party and then they were driving down I-5. He flipped his pickup truck driving 80 some odd miles an hour on the left-hand shoulder and Brandy gets ejected out of the pickup um, and ends up in a coma for six months after three brain surgeries. The night that she that she got in the wreck, I, I drove down to Eugene and she's in the ICU. And I remember looking at her and seeing there's blood coming out of her ears and out of her nose. And I found myself praying. I wasn't a prayer. I wasn't praying before that. Yeah. So so in the midst of that, it, it, it woke me up. Over a period of months, I get to, I don't even know, a couple months in. And as I'm praying to God that she survives and I'm going and visiting her as much as I can, God got a hold of my heart. I had read most of the New Testament as, as a young guy in my teens, because I was trying to find the number 666. That's right. And it's in Revelation. So it took a while to get to it. So I read a lot of the New Testament. So, so in the midst of that, you know, here I am. And these verses start coming to my mind and I'm down visiting Brandy one night in Eugene in a, in a rehab center. And I yielded to Christ. I said, I believe this, I've got to follow Jesus. So I drove all the way home and woke Lori up. She hadn't gone with me that night. And I said, Hey, I guess, guess we're going to church. Well, we end up here uh, about a year later we're find, trying to find a church and so in 1988-89 laurie and i land at salem heights church and um, that's how things then unfolded to 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 me being here so that's kind of my story but adoption yeah. plays a big role in that because then i started reading the bible for real and came across some statements about adoption that was huge to me and kind yeah. of formed who i am and why i do what i do from god's word yeah, because as we talked about that, where your family was telling you,
2: keep this adoption quiet. We're concerned what they might think about you. We're concerned what they might think about us. It's all of this negativity around it. You read in Scripture about adoption, and it's elevated. It's all of a sudden this is a centerpiece in, you know, Romans and in Galatians. Yeah. He's saying, proclaim it to the world. Yeah. Uh, because once you get adopted in that world, it couldn't be undone. So. I, I remember right. you and I talking about that.
4: Yeah, that picture that's even in our fundamentals of the faith that goes yeah. through the entire picture of adoption and how that works and how once that happens in the Roman culture, you cannot unadopt, it's yeah. done, it's sealed. You could you could disown a natural born child, but you could not unadopt a child. You went through this process in the Roman culture. Yeah. It really impacted me, because it was Romans chapter eight that really caught my eye about adoption in Ephesians one, but Romans eight, um, where I went, oh, that's important. Yeah. Now I'm understanding the, the, you know, I have a father in heaven who's adopted me. I'm wanted. That's where things started clicking with me that adoption actually means you're wanted. It wasn't that you were not wanted by your original birth parents. It's you're wanted by the parents that adopted you. And I remember writing my parents a long letter after getting that and thanking them for adopting me. But it was all because I understood the scriptures better.
2: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. There's something really amazing that happens in Acts 13 and 14 where Saul goes off on a missionary journey. When he starts, his name is Saul. When he comes back, his name is Paul. Yeah. And it was the work that he did, he went away as, I'm going to go and tell them about the gospel, but he became so impacted by his relationship with those people that it actually, he actually changed his name. He identified with them even in how he was called and one of the things that I've highlighted for folks was when I interacted with you I always knew that you had a passion for ministry and it was evident to the whole leadership team this guy's called to ministry but when you came you were our administrator Mm -hmm. and then God worked out as you worked in ministry it was evident your calling you became identified as a pastor, and not just a pastor, but a pastor to broken people, uh, your your heart has always been to search for those that were what we've called the least, the last, and the lost. Mm-hmm. You, you've always been for them. Describe a little bit of that journey because your, your dad also didn't really think much of
4: pastors, right? No. Well, <laughs> and here's the thing with, yeah. with the church that they had gone to, because my mom liked going to that church because my grandparents were there, yeah. And they had a pew named, had the plaque with their, and we always had to sit oh, yeah. in that place, right? Yeah. When we went, I got pinched a lot. Yeah, that used to be a thing. Um, man, I remember going to church and ch- church wasn't a happy place for me because I was always <laughs> getting pinched, you know, like, but but the reality was um, my dad had gone to that reverend and, and they had wanted him to become a member. And my dad threw this in my face a lot after I got saved of, well, I went in and I sat down with him and I said, well, you want me to be a member? Yeah. And he says, okay, well, I just need to let you know, I don't believe any of this. So if you're good with me being a member that doesn't believe any of it, then great. He goes, well, that's okay. I don't believe most of it myself.
2: The pastor said that.
4: Yes. Uh, Yeah. The the leader there. Yeah. Um, And so ultimately my dad, after I got saved and I went to him and was sharing with him what Mm -hmm. God was doing in my life, freeing me from addiction, different life, different. my marriage is going to make it, everything's different. Um, He would tell me that story and say, Matt, it's all you know, he, he literally looked at me and said, you're stupid. Yeah. Like, this is, this is just dumb. I, okay. You can do this, but it's just stupid. You know, I'll tell you what this is all about. And then he told me, he tells me that story over and over and over again. Yeah. And my, the cool thing about my dad was he would listen to Lori. So Lori would share the gospel with my dad and he wouldn't get upset with her and he wouldn't cut her off. And, yeah. and so still praying that we get to heaven and Mac is there, you know, yeah. but I remember, so, so, after being at Salem Heights for several years, um, I'm, I'm working at, the, at, my, you know, at my shop and you come in as an employee and I had never met you before. And the manager then at the time, Dan, I said, well, who's the kid? And, you know, oh, he's up at Western Baptist College. That's Justin. Okay, great, I introduce myself to you. Within it's been a matter of weeks, we're meeting each other at the church and you're leading the, the junior high ministry. Yeah. And I'm working with high schoolers on the staff. Yeah. And um, you had challenged the group, the junior high group to do a Matthew party Invite kids that are that, that would normally not come to church, and invite them to a party, and invite them. Well, Leandra, Yuram, uh, invites uh, Matt and Ray Masera, right? As two little pups, right? Yeah. Two little hostile pups. Yeah. And um, so they start coming, and by the time they hit high school, they're coming with like eight to ten gang members, right? Yeah. And then I'm in the high school group with you now, yep. and we're all going. Everyone's okay. wondering what what are you guys doing? It's chaos. <laughs> knives are getting pulled and all kinds of crazy every week as those young men and that crew came and they led that they led that crew well i look back at that i gravitated towards those kids yeah they i could i understood those kids yeah and so you know then uh, as the years unfold they graduate from high school we're we're doing ministry together and and um i get hired here back in 2001 within a couple years i'm getting a phone call that that ray had shot himself and is at the hospital, hmm. the twin brother who accepted Christ and you baptized him. Yeah. And I was there and I have a picture of myself with Ray after being baptized. And he had fallen away from the Lord and, and struggled and, and went schizophrenic it in his drug usage and uh, shot himself. And so grandma calls me, uh, Cherry, and says, could you go to the hospital? Ray shot himself. He's still alive. Could you get there? I tail it over there and, and Matt's there. And I haven't talked to Matt in years. And just being there, at that moment when they came in and said that Ray has passed away and the room erupts into all kinds of crazy people are throwing stuff cussing guards are coming in security guards are coming in I'm telling them to stop and Matt looks at me and says will you go back with me will you go back to see Ray with me and I'm like oh lord I don't want to you know I just don't want him yeah and I found myself you know putting my arm around him and we went back and uh and there's Ray and I, and I think back on that and the way that God has unfolded time, Justin, since you and I've been together in ministry yeah. and that, 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 all kinds of crazy going on in the youth group every, every week. And I'm getting tempted at times to go, I really understand these kids, but, but I'm getting fed up with the crud that they're, you know, right? Yeah. And we get down the timeline and here's Matt then within a year or so he gives his life to Christ. And then he falls away and goes into darkness and all kinds of stories come out of that. And a few years ago, seven years ago, I get a call at one in the morning from Matt saying, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm ready to follow Christ. Yeah. And now he's the leader of Bebold Street Ministries and going all over the world. And, you know, just got back from South Carolina helping people start a street ministry there. And uh, the sweetest young man now with a gargoyle on his shoulder, you know, that you're ever gonna meet, you know? (laughs) And uh, you just go, okay, God, you just, you're amazing. And I just see ministry as being that for us for a lot of years. Yeah. Just that, God just keeps unfolding those things.
2: And something happened in the hospital at that moment i remember uh we had gone to jacksonville i had actually gotten connected with a couple of guys that had a most excellent way but it's not a program that was known there's a bunch of other programs that could have been presented but this guy struck me he was a guy that believed in the gospel and good works being hand in hand and and i had heard that um, and had just been praying about how can we reach these people around us in salem that are really not being reached. But there was something that had happened in you in that moment that began to grow and become stronger the the men were coming around you and were growing your discipleship nature the nature you have to just be a discipler and a gospel sharer had continued to grow god had refined those skills Um, and i can remember saying hey what about starting a most excellent way and you, you were like man i don't know and then within a few moments it was
4: like yeah we're starting like next week. We <laughs> yeah. reading the manual and going yeah this is this 90 is some odd percent exactly yeah. what happened with my life and our lives and and yeah i look back at that and think yeah. yeah that was obviously from god and and the beauty of leading men's ministry and also the most excellent way at the same time yeah. after doing college age and other ministry was to watch how our discipleship of men here had beautifully blended our guys in with taking on the union gospel mission mentorships and also coming alongside guys in the, in the most excellent way and just seeing God, you've orchestrated all this. So when you created the John study and the Galatians and James study, and then we added in first and second Thessalonians and others, right? All of that mentorship, the discipleship that was going on was setting the stage for this to really flourish at Salem Heights church. At the same time, we start most excellent way. Now we have men already chomping at the bit to come alongside guys that are hurting. It's just been awesome to watch. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think and the other thing that has
2: always been your heart and that I think God is honored is it's always been the word that's central, not some idea. Um, is there a passage that stands out to you that you say uh, either during that transition year, time, because I know that it wasn't just us praying, but God had also been working on your heart uh, and it was scripture that you were quoting that said, man, this is why I'm, I'm called to ministry, but also even right now, there are passages of scripture. Is there a passage that stands out to you that's been central for you
4: even recently? Well, if, if I back up, uh, clue you in on something here, yeah. uh, he told me he was gonna ask this. So, so the thing is, is here we are, right? I'm, I'm thinking about Romans eight. Yeah. And uh, it's, it says in verse 14, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That passage verses 14 yeah. through 18 has been something that I've watched unfold at Salem Heights church for years. And again, weaving it back to adoption all the way back to understanding for the first time I'm wanted yeah. to then saying, and God, we're all beggars telling other beggars where to get bread. And by the way, the King that's handing out the bread wants to adopt you into his family. Yeah, You know, that's been something I've been saying for years and, um, the the reality is that's, that's driven me then. yeah. If he wanted to adopt me, he wants to adopt you. And if he wants to adopt you, he wants to adopt, adopt that guy. So let's train you to go share that with that guy that he wants to adopt. Are you going yeah. to go help see other people get adopted in this family as you bring a message of a loving savior who makes people whole? And so,
5: yeah.
4: but that Abba Father, you know, being able to cry out now, no matter what, during sufferings, this is all gonna be one day, the suffering's gonna end, I'm gonna be with yeah. my king. We're gonna endure this together. We've gone through a lot of suffering at Salem Heights Church together and yeah. with others. And so, um, and beyond that with other folks that we love, like Dr. Yeah. David Allen, what he went through with his wife with cancer. And when you start looking at these different people that he's connected with us with all over the nation, Glenn and Judy Wright down in San Diego yeah. as Glenn got sick and passed away. And then Judy Saints. hands the ministry off to us yeah. um, in June after getting sick. These sufferings are temporary and we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ.
2: Yeah. And, and I think we both have talked about the fact that we're temporary. So whatever ministry we do can't be about us, it's gotta be about how do we see an army of people. So, yeah. yeah. I'm thankful for you. As we talked about with Julie, 20 years full-time we've been serving here. I mean, that's not when you and I began, that's actually 10 years into the journey. Yeah, that's 2001, back that thing up to 1990, yeah. So, but thank you for serving the Lord. And uh, it's just really been, awesome to be on this journey with you. You and I have been able to work closely together through that season, but it's been amazing to see God at work, hasn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
4: I love, love you, love what God has placed us in and have been able to do with each other and our families and the yeah. body of Christ here and love, love this body and, and wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So thank yeah, you.
2: we're blessed.
4: Yep. yep. Thank you. Well, I hope you were blessed by those two
2: wonderful servants sharing their testimony and uh, how God not only called them, but has continued to impassion them over this last 20 years. It says in the scripture here that after they had arrived, they gathered the church together and reported everything. Uh, I want you to know that word reported actually has the idea that they gave not just the story of what had happened over their two-year journey for Saul and Barnabas. Um, but it was the report of what had happened in their life, and then other people were impacted by that report. This word carries the idea that they reported it, and others were impacted by that report, and they shared how they were being changed, and they sh- other people would hear that, and they were sharing, and the report kept getting repeated until it reached Jerusalem over and over again there was a report. The idea is that as these two shared, the impact of their life on others began to continue to impact others and continue to impact others. We have a few who this morning um, were reflecting on how Matt and Julie had impacted their life and it's an impact that's continuing to impact others even today. Let's hear from them.
6: I don't think you can define Julie in one word. <laughs> she's, uh, she's the epitome of what a Christian uh, woman should be. I remember
7: early on, she, she actually was roving and came up and introduced herself to me. And it, and it so happened that uh, she'd actually worked where I was currently working
6: at one time. And so we had a connection. Girls' Night Out is where I really got to know Julie.
8: Well, it was, I guess, almost 20 years ago that I knew who she was. Um, And it was more sitting in church and she'd get up on stage and I'd start giggling because it was, at the time, my boyfriend's mom up there. And I, you know, didn't listen (laughs) to what she was saying.
7: Well, I hadn't uh, been going to church for a while. So when I returned to God, I was um, just, I would, I called it, I would sneak in you know, and sit in the back and get out right away.
8: I think especially entering, being a mom, um, and kind of feeling like, well, she knows everything. She did it. And I remember her, you know, coming to me and being like, you know, you just need to pray. It's that simple. There's so many how-to books and what to do, but if you're not synced up and linked up with God, then, yeah, you're not gonna do what he would want.
7: And there was this one particular time where um, there was something tragic that happened in my life and I called her and asked her for a prayer. And um, then in like in five minutes, she was at my house. That's what she felt God led her to do and it was a
6: blessing to me. It was what I needed, but I didn't wanna ask. Julie is a gal that um, I can trust. She's joyous, she is always happy. It's someone you want to be around. Um, I think when you're around somebody that's happy, it just lifts you up spirit-wise and um, Julie
8: is that kind of person. She, she is a rock. Um, when I, I think about all the things and the trials I know that she's gone through um, in her life, she's steady. And I know that she would only put that on, that God is her rock. I think the thing about
7: Julie is that the heart of um, compassion and and all of those attributes that she has isn't just for me. I mean, she has such a love for all women and to see them uh, grow in Christ and to know the hope that he can give.
6: When I've had a Bible study and it says, name somebody who you think reflects um, what a Christian woman should be or a Christian. I always put Julie's name down I also put Matt's name down too. Julie just reflects exactly what I think a Christian woman is all about
9: So I, I showed up here Salem Heights Church 2018 um, Strung out on meth and heroin both. Um, I was a wreck. I came to a most excellent way meeting um, and ever since the very first time I
10: went, um, Matt would call me. I didn't like him when I came here. I thought he was a fake. One thing that he used to, well, he still says it is, there's no other place on a Monday night I'd rather be. And I'd sit there and say, oh, hogwash, you'd rather be watching the game or, and so, and he knew that. I didn't hide it. And he just kept loving me.
5: I was, um. Uh actually in my heart wanting to serve because this church was wel- had welcomed to me so warmly talked with Matt and he said yeah uh, we can use you He used to call
9: me man all the time yeah. I would be using and I'd be mixing something up and he'd be like bring call me I'm like oh, or I'd uh-huh. just you know I'd just do it and it'd be like there goes my eye you know what I mean because yeah. I'd be so convicted you know this man reaching out to me and in and through Christ. Yeah. You know, hey, man, we love you. Jesus loves you.
5: I thought I had it all together, but but uh, in the 10 attitudes of victorious living that he presented one night, honesty stood out to me where it says, where Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I, at that point, was not uh, hungering for that, But, but Matt, Pastor Matt was was gracious with me as he walked me through some of my struggles.
10: It started with him coming alongside saying no, you need Jesus. You need to understand where you're at and then let's go together.
9: I remember I was in, in bed one night and I was reading um, the Word and uh, it, it was in John uh, 17 and, and he, he just got done, Jesus just got done praying for the disciples, you know. And then at the end of that, he said, uh, I also pray for all of those who believe in me through their word, you know? And it was just like such a personal aha moment for me in my life. Like, that's why I'm not a dope fiend, you know what I mean? He knew me before I was even born, you know? Before he went to the cross, he was praying for me.
5: He'd always say, um, give the Holy Spirit something to do. And I've never forgot that because I try to do, I try to do, I try to do ministry in my own strength, and and, and it failed.
9: I mean, I called Pastor Matt, I'm going mean, to share, I got this, you know what I mean? Bah, that was my uh, aha moment, and uh, I dialed his phone number, and it's like, oh man, it's almost midnight. Ken, what's up, you know, how are you doing, man? And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to wake you up. He's like, I wasn't sleeping. I was just kind of winding down, I was just like, all right, well, check this out, you know, and uh, aha,
10: and... Uh, So he walked me through it. Things happened to me personally in the midst of Most Excellent Way. He was there. I lost a nephew. He was there. My dad, he was definitely there. I drank a pot of coffee. I couldn't hold the mic or the book. And he's holding it, saying, it's okay. Praying with me beforehand. A true servant.
5: But Matt, Matt has always been an encouragement to me, no matter, no matter where I am. I can be struggling as if he asks me, how you doing? I tell him the truth and he says, well, let's, we let pray about that. He's always been an encouragement to me.
10: And you know, for me, that's what I desire. Not to be like Matt, to be the image of Christ as Matt is.
5: Pastor Matt, Thanks for serving. Thanks for being faithful.
6: Thank you for serving the Lord, Julie. Thank you, Julie, for being a wonderful sister
8: in Christ.
9: Thank you for serving the Lord.
8: Mom and Julie, thank you so much um, for serving the Lord. i um, really thankful to serve alongside you now, too.
10: Thank you, brother, for never giving up on me and for being the man of God that you are. You are definitely building treasures in heaven.